Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. So this is last of the series on qualifications or eldership, and we'll be looking at verses 6 to 7 today. And we will see two things in these two verses that describe maturity. That's why we subtitled uh, the sermon with this, a time-tested, community-attested maturity. So maturity should be tested by time. And not only in the church, when we say community-attested, is in the greater community where God has placed us. And you see, maturity can really be tricky, isn't it? Uh, a person can very much look like mature. Uh, but given a time, you realize that, that whatever that maturity in the person's life, sometimes we just lost all of it. And then we realize that we, we find ourselves saying, I thought he was mature. I thought he is mature. And then at the end of the day, when the right storm comes, he, he crumbled together with, for example, together with a problem. So it is easy to say that a, a person is mature because somehow he manifested the other qualifications of the elders. He probably have manifested you know, these things that Paul have listed here, seemingly like above reproach, are faithful, and so on and so forth. But unless this is proven true for a period of time, unless that kind of maturity or godly character is consistently displayed throughout a period of time, and not only inside the local church, but even outside of the local church, to our families, um, to our communities, to the place that we work, to our circle of friends, I would say it cannot be said to be a biblical maturity. So yes, we'll be talking about eldership still, but on a greater note, today we want to understand when can we say that we have manifested a biblical maturity? When can we say that, that I am mature or a person in the church is mature and is ready for a leadership position? Knowing full well the damage into the name of Christ and the credibility of the church if an elder or if an elder's testimony would be destroyed, Paul gave two more qualifications, two more qualifications of an elder here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 to 7, where I think on Paul's observation of the churches at the time, these are two of the places where most unqualified, ordained elders would fall. So he wanted Timothy to make sure that he will only ordain aspiring elders who have proven time-tested and community-attested maturity. He only wanted Timothy to ordain such men in the church. And again, on a greater note, we, we can be a woman in the church, men in the church who at this point of your life, you are not really uh, aspiring to be an elder in the church. But this sermon, I believe, can still bless us and, 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 and mature us because this will speak to all of us because we all want to mature. I want to trust on that. Or all of us need to mature if we are Christians. So here's my main idea Today, elders' maturity 
should be time-tested and community-attested to keep them from falling into Satan's destructive schemes. Elders' maturity should be time-tested and community-attested to keep them from falling into Satan's destructive schemes. Probably learning from some fallouts at the time, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, if you, find, if you read chapter 1, verse 10, 20, who left the face. Or from these used to be elders, but were already teaching false doctrines in the church of Ephesus. Paul had become wise to understand some pitfalls. Now, sa buhay natin, Kristiano, may mga pitfalls that we can easily fall into. And he's somehow warning Timothy uh, to ordain and qualified elders who can fall into these uh, pitfalls. Consistency, that's where Paul wants uh, these elders. He wanted them to be consistent in terms of time and in terms of places. So before he moved to the qualification or qualifications of deacons, he gave, again, two more qualifications that Satan would most likely bring elders down. Notice carefully that both of these qualifications have a warning against being destroyed by Satan. In verse 6, and then in verse 7, it's the reason why I put them together. Now it is also worth mentioning that Paul is not only concerned of these supposed aspiring elders, but really the testimony of the church. That's what Paul is trying to keep the testimony of the church, the testimony of the gospel. We already know that the context of this is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul is talking about the evangelistic work of the church. And because of this evangelistic work of the church, uh, the church needs to protect the gospel through qualified men. So Paul knew that there was so much at stake. Sa church po natin, kaya hindi po tayo pwedeng maglaro-laro lang po bilang iglesia because there's so much at stake. And Paul did not want to leave Satan any room. He does not want to leave Satan any room to shame the name of Christ, to shame the name of the church, and to shame the name of any aspiring elder in the church. So he gave two more qualifications. The first one, elders' maturity should be time-tested. should be time-tested. It is a general testimony of us Christians of how zealous and passionate we were when we first learned of Christ. Have you heard yourself saying that one? When I knew Christ back then, when I was still there, I was so passionate for Christ. And every time we say this, we can sense that when, a, that when we say this, we, are, we want to go back where we started. We want to go back where, when we were young in the faith. Is it right to think that way? Maybe it's really not the solution. Maybe to go back when we were a young Christian is not the solution. But maybe it is the only road towards maturity. That what we had before was like a baptism to Christianity, like a welcome from the Lord, welcome to Christianity. And we feel like everything is right, everything is new, the affections for God, the security that we sense in our heart, everything is new, and it brought tremendous joy in our hearts. 
But now we have the opportunity to carve biblical maturity, which, by the way, purchased by Christ, not only your justification. He purchased in the cross of Calvary that you might mature, that the Father, through the Holy Spirit, will continue to work in your life so that you will reflect Christ on your daily living. Instead of reminiscing our lost zeal and passion for Christ, we should be seeing ourselves having a way better maturity than when we came to know Christ. We should be able to say, I'm in a better spiritual state today, so to speak, because my joy in Christ is not simply emotional. My joy in Christ is rooted and drawn from a deep understanding of the gospel. My joy in Christ now is no longer dependent upon my situation and upon my affections, but it really flows out of a clear understanding of how the grace of God is always greater than my sins. Paul certainly think or did not think that new converts are better than those who have been Christians for years. Paul did not think that way. Paul is not like saying, I would rather have you back on your first day of being a Christian. In fact, he did not trust new Christians that much. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What he's saying is that no new, untested by time, believer should be allowed into the eldership because Satan knows their immaturity so well that they will only use their pride to fall into the condemnation of the devil. Let's unpack this one. And I want to draw three things from verse 6 that will answer this question. Why should we not consider a new convert into the eldership? First, maturity cannot be developed in a short period of time. Maturity cannot be developed overnight. Secondly, an immature believer can easily fall into pride. And thirdly, a proud believer will fall into the condemnation of the devil. Maturity cannot be developed in a short period of time. When Paul said new convert, It literally means newly planted. A newly planted plant, you cannot expect it to have fruits tomorrow. In other words, Paul is saying a new believer. And the thing about new believers is that they can appear many times to be more mature than old believers. They can appear more mature many times. They are more enthusiastic in the things of God. You'll see new believers, they will attend all Bible studies. New believers will go to Baras to support the work in Baras. They can look humbler. They can be more courteous. They can just look better many times. I I remember thinking on the latter days of my Christian life, why am I struggling with pride when I never had this when I was a new Christian? I I was not struggling back then why the other believer knows more than I. And why is it so that when I was a believer after months and years, I begin to struggle in my heart. Why is this brother no more than me? 
Well, the honeymoon stage is over. Welcome to the real, to the real ending. The other qualifications before this one, above reproach, faithful husband, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and the rest of it cannot be proven genuine if not tested by time. It can be out of excitement only and would soon fade away with time. But you see, biblical maturity, biblical maturity would only use time to prove that it is indeed or that person indeed is mature. Time will even showcase uh, genuine maturity. Therefore, however mature a believer, a new believer can look like, it is not real maturity. However mature a new believer can look like, it is not biblical maturity. That is why when you look at scripture, new believers cannot be set as models or examples to the flock. Remember that eldership is about modeling. It's about being example to, to the flock. As, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, saying, being examples to the flock. And both Paul and James, both Paul and James affirmed that maturity can only be developed through time. It can only be developed through time. On his part, James said, on the verse that we use for pastoral prayer earlier, James chapter 1, starting from verse 2, here's what James said. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Now the next expression simply means maturity. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Two things worth mentioning in that passage, trials and time. New believers have not gone through trials and testing of their faith. And they have not endured through trials. Steadfastness is the length of time that we stay under our trials. James is saying only when we endure over a period of time under our trials can maturity happen. Let me segue a little bit because I think that is very important. Look at the picture of maturity there. And James is saying the one who will mature is not those who run away from problems, but those who will stay under their problems. Unless your face is your problem. So. Those who stay under their problems. And you realize that if there's conflict in the, in the family, if you, there's conflict in work, there's conflict with our friends, our natural tendency is to run, change work, change things. But for James, it is an opportunity to grow. Stay under it. Stay under it. Because you will mature through it. However, that Paul said, an elder should not be a recent convert does not mean that he is elderly already. Let's just be clear with this. Paul did not say that you need to be an elderly to be an elder. What Paul is trying to drive here is that his maturity has developed already so that a person can be set as an example to the church. The maturity of that man in the church has so developed already to the point that the whole church can look at that man as an example that they can follow. Timothy himself was on his early 30s when he pastored the church of Ephesus. Jesus' disciples 
where Jesus is contemporary, if not younger than Jesus. If Jesus entered into the ministry at 30 years old and died at 33 years old, then the apostles took the leadership and they were on their early 30s. But Paul admonished Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, despite of his young age, this is what Paul said to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. Look at what Paul is doing here. Timothy, though he was on his early 30s, he can now be set as an example to the church in speech, in conduct, in love, in purity, in faith, and in purity. Timothy was young, but he was not a recent convert. He has matured in speech, in conduct, in love, and purity, so that he can now be set as an example to the flock. So because maturity takes time, a recent convert, regardless of age, cannot be considered mature. He has not truly developed these characters of a godly Christian for him to be set as an example to the church. And as an immature person, he can easily fall into pride. This is the second one I want us to see from verse 6. An immature believer can easily fall into pride. Hear what Paul again said. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. Now he is pointing to the fact that new converts has not developed yet the humility to see leadership. The humility to see leadership as an opportunity to serve. New believers has not developed that kind of perspective when we talk about leadership. Sometimes we are excited to be a leader, but not because we understand that leadership is a position of service. It seems like Paul is giving the general tendency of new converts. And the general tendency of new converts, look at what Paul said, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up. In other words, new converts' tendency, general tendency is to be puffed up with conceit. And Paul doesn't want us to miss that. The word puffed up, Paul used it already in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. You see, you are like smoking in pride. That's the word puff up. And Paul was a good writer. But Paul always thought, even if he would be in danger of redundancy, you know, to be redundant, Paul would never hesitate to put words together, though it is redundant, if only that he can convey his message. You just have to read Ephesians chapter 2, where he put all superlatives together. And this is one place. He already said, puff up. You can understand that he is being proud. But he said, he may become puff up with conceit. Which also means being proud. What Paul is really saying here is the tendency for new converts to float in pride when given such position in the church. Sa Tagalog, meron po tayong word for that. Lutang. Lutang sa yabang. Tama yung paggagamit ko ng word. And because the, the mind of a new convert still has his mind revolving around himself, instead of realizing that he is part of a body, so that he will do things for the good of whole body, he might use whatever position to elevate himself instead of serving the whole body. I was a young Christian. I was a young full-time worker when I was given such opportunity to preach to such a big congregation. And after preaching several times in that big congregation, I was not able to handle the pride 
But God loves me so much. God was so merciful to me so that in one of my preaching, he allowed me to fail big time. When I lost everything and I had a mental block and I could not remember a single word, I could not read my outline. But I thank the Lord for that because he was crushing the pride of this proud, young, aspiring pastor. That's one of the things that I'm so grateful to God up until today. That at one point of my life, I wanted to get inside a bag and lock myself because I was so ashamed. But I'm so grateful to God because that was the time that God used the sledgehammer to break my pride. Looking back, I realized I was not really trying to serve the church. I was doing everything. I was reading eight hours a day or more. And when I was about to preach on a particular Sunday, you cannot talk, me, talk to me because there is nothing more important by myself and I'm about to preach. I was not really trying to serve the church. I was trying to make a name for myself. And then I realized, new convert cannot be behind the pulpit. Yes, a person who only thinks of personal advancement is tough to be with already. Have you ever experienced a person who always talks about himself, always fishing compliment from you, always throwing questions that you know is leading towards you seeing him? It's tough to be with. And imagine if you are talking to your elder and the whole time that you're talking together is just talking about himself. It's tough to, be an, to have an elder like that. But the greater problem of new converts is their tendency to be unfaithful to the gospel. Look at what Paul, or listen to what Philip Towner, a good commentator, said. The new believer is most likely to see such a position of leadership as an authority for personal advancement and fail to understand the gravity of the task. He failed to understand the gravity of the task. And I bet when Paul said in in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, about, per, about new converts who will puff up in conceit, he's thinking of these supposed elders in the church who turn to be false teachers in the church. Look at what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, where Paul, 3 and Paul, 4, where Paul used the same words. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. This I am convinced that Paul was thinking of his people. New converts who are full of themselves has a tendency to focus more on proving that they know more than they know more than others, instead of being faithful to the gospel. I remember studying before because I want to see something that no one has ever seen, and I am. If I see something, I'm so proud to talk to someone and point them to that one that I see because I felt like even Augustine did not see this. For Paul, the epitome of being proud is one who will teach something contrary to the gospel. That is the epitome of being proud. When you preach something that the word of God does not preach. 
and new converts has a tendency to focus more on controversial or mystical matters than being faithful to the gospel. They are more interested when the conversation is almost like splitting hair. Know what I mean? When the conversation is like, hindi mo na kailangan hatiin yan, hatiin mo pa. Like when Jesus slept on the back of the couch, what did Jesus manifest? His humanness. And then when he woke up, he displayed his deity. You really want to split the two personality, or the, sorry, the two nature of Jesus? They're more interested of splitting hairs than in, instead of the solid rock of the gospel of Christ. And I have counseled some of you to focus more on the gospel because many times I sense that we give more importance on controversial things than the gospel of Christ. And when we are more interested on controversial things, then on the gospel of Christ, it is not a mark of maturity. It is a mark of immaturity. It is for this reason that it is dangerous to put self-absorbed people into the eldership. It is not only because they might become a stumbling block for others, but they might teach a doctrine of their own and not be faithful to the gospel, and in so doing, destroy the church. Why is it necessary that any believer, but most importantly, an elder should have grown in humility or maturity before being given an eldership position or leadership position? Here's the third thing that we can find in verse 6. A proud believer will fall into the same condemnation as Satan. Listen to what Paul said. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And it seems like there's a progression here. When someone is puffed up with conceit, he will fall into the condemnation of the devil. That's what Paul is doing here. He will become puffed up with conceit and fall. In other words, you can expect that the next thing that would happen if a person is guilty with pride, that's the condemnation of the devil. Now don't be mistaken that when it says there the condemnation of the devil, you might think that the devil condemns you. That's not what it, we're saying here. What the text is saying is that you will fall into that same condemnation that the devil fell. This is something, this is not something done by the devil as it is something done to the devil. It means that a new believer who has, ordained, who has, who has been ordained into the eldership and have fallen into pride will suffer the same condemnation that the devil suffered. Now, what is this condemnation of the devil? I think what's going on with your mind right now, does it mean that person will go to hell too? What do you mean the condemnation of the devil? Oh, we know our theology. We're not confused. We're saying here a new convert, a new believer. No, he is new, but nonetheless a believer. And we're clear with our systematic theology here. No believer will go to hell. So what then is this condemnation that we're talking about here? The condemnation of the devil is when God brought him down from the, his high position. The Bible is clear. Proverbs 16 verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The devil enjoyed such lofty position before he was cast down. And Satan's downfall was used by Isaiah as a metaphor to describe the downfall of Babylon. 
Isaiah chapter 12, verses 12 to 15. So this is said to, the, to Babylon, but this is actually what happened to Satan. That's my take on this text. Verse 12 of, verse of Isaiah chapter 12, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star of dawn, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in, my, in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Shaul to the far reaches of the pit. Because of pride, the devil was brought down from his lofty position. Or as John MacArthur commented on, on this, he said, The judgment or condemnation of the devil was a demotion from a high position due to his sinful pride. The danger, not only for an aspiring elder, but for any Christians who have fallen into pride, is that he will be brought down from his position in the same way that the devil was brought down. And you know, and you know what? Misery loves company. You know, the devil said, I have fallen from a loft, my lofty position. I want to bring you down with me. The devil has been tempting people to fall into the same pit, isn't it? Gusto ng devil, mahulog tayo sa the same pit. What did he do when he tempted Adam and Eve? It was a lofty position. It was being the vice regent of God, the small king of God, if you may, who will rule over all creations. And David, when David thought of it, David said, when I consider your heavens, the moon, and the stars, what is man that you made him ruler over your vast creation? Such a lofty position. But was, he, was Satan not successful to make them act in pride? Making them believe that they can make their own standard of right and wrong and act as God and fell from that lofty position. Yes, anyone who would lose a certain position might be put to shame because God is humbling you. Because but greater shame will fall upon the name of Christ and the name of the church when an elder falls. It's just the reality. So Paul told Timothy to make sure that no pride-prone new believer will be ordained into the eldership, for you are sending that person into that same pit that Satan, Satan had fallen. There should be no new believer will be put under leadership because you are like sending that person into that same pit. If indeed pride is the root of all evil, because all sins are born out of choosing ourselves over God, then it is the hardest to overcome. Pride is the hardest to overcome, even for us who have been believers for years. Don't we? Though we struggle with pride every day of our lives. Why should a new believer be put in a position that the temptation to be pride would be too much for him to handle? And when we talk about pride, in some sense you will agree with me that there is a sense of hopelessness. I felt hopeless. I drive to my, my boy every morning to their school and will get into, pass by the, the guard. And these guards were not taught how to approach well because I have to pay 20 pesos every time I pass by because I don't have a sticker. <clears throat> and when, they, when you open your window, they would right away say, Sir, 20 pesos. 
and it always provoked my, my pride. And I can hear my pride within me. I did not say anything, by the way, don't be stumbled. I'm just telling you that I am like you, so corrupted within. And if you lie that you don't feel this way, you're a liar. And I feel that in my heart. I can hear myself saying, don't you know me? And I felt hopeless against this pride many times. And sometimes we even think, why do we even keep new converts into the eldership if old Christians have not overcome their own pride? But as prideful as we are, we have hope to grow in humility in the soil of the gospel. By God's grace, it has made, made possible that proud believers learn to have the mind of Christ. And took heed of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. Remember what Paul said in these beautiful verses in his letter to the Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it reads, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, but taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. All of us should grow to the point where we no longer live for ourselves, but for others, because we have learned to consider them more significant than ourselves. All of us who used to think of nothing but our own interests, should at some point be amazed to find ourselves looking out the interest of others. All of us should have the mind of Christ whose greatness of being God did not keep him from taking the role of a servant. All of us should grow in humility. But until one is no longer living for himself but for others. He should be given time to grow before he should be considered to the leadership. Here's a little bit of application to this. To all of us, we should find ourselves, and this I say with pain because this is my struggle too, listening to others already than just being interested or being heard. But tunes tunes out when others are talking. I hope that, you know, in our small group, we are so excited to share when it is our part to share. But when it's other part to share, we look up and we look at us. You know, we're not interested. And you know what happened most of the time? It's only the small group leader and the one sharing is talking. And the others are like, okay, tapos na kayo? Ako na ba? No, we love to be listened to, but we don't want to listen. We're always interested about ourselves, but we're not interested on others. I'm preaching to myself. He should learn it because it is not an elder should learn it because it is at the heart of shepherding. At the heart of shepherding, which is the work of an elder, is to listen to others. A new convert should be given a time to grow in humility in the soil of the gospel. Second, for today, 
elders' maturity should be community attested. It has to be attested by the greater community. When I say community here, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the greater community. Verse 7, Paul said, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, people outside the church, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. The church should make sure that aspiring elders have a good testimony outside the church before they will be ordained, as they might only shame the name of Christ and be played by the devil to their destruction. All of these qualifications of the elders are set to protect the gospel and its testimony. This is more than just us. And do not ever be so conceited. The devil must have been so angry with me because of everything I've done. Now, the, the, the devil is only interested of destroying you because he wants to destroy the name of Christ. Come on, get over yourself. It's not about you. But this last qualification is directly tied to this one. We have to understand again that Paul did not just give this qualification for the good of the church alone or to protect the elder's life from being ruined. He gave this thing so that the church might be effective in the spread of the gospel. Now we have already noted when we were in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, that Paul used a literary technique at that time where a writer does not put a main verb in the sentence to communicate to his readers how emotional he is for this matter. So that despite of the fact that he needed Timothy with him, I am certain with that he needed Timothy with them. He urged Timothy to stay in Ephesus. To stay in Ephesus to keep anyone from teaching anything contrary to the gospel. By this point, it is a foregone conclusion. Claro na po yung nakikita po natin dito. It is a foregone conclusion that Paul was so protective of the gospel. And he knew how an elder who was a bad testimony outside the church can bring disgrace to the church and the gospel. Philip Towner wrote again, or commented again, he said, Perhaps, in Paul's mind, the greater danger lies in the fact that a fallen, but dealer, dealer din po yan, a leader. Sometimes nagmamarunong to si Otto Correct. Eh? The fallen leader brings disgrace on the church and its message from those it is meant to reach. So far, Paul was talking about the knowledge of the church on the characters of these aspiring elders. He said, you should see this in your aspiring elders. But he is now talking about what people outside of the church know about these aspiring elders. Therefore, what we are dealing in verse 7 is integrity, wholeness. There should be no crock in the character of a leader. It cannot be that someone is allowed into the eldership because he has a good testimony in the church but not outside the church. That would be a big inconsistent. And that is exactly the point of not having any integrity at all. The genuineness of the seeming maturity for any of us, not just for elders, for any of us. If we have a good testimony in the church, but not in our workplace, our maturity will be put in question. Well thought of, the word that Paul used means, outsiders have good things to say about us. And yes, most especially to any elder. Literally, it says he must have a good testimony. He must have a good testimony from the outsiders. 
somehow we understand the picture painted before us is that maturity goes beyond what one does to what one has become. I hope you are following. Maturity goes beyond what we are doing to what we have become. Because if you have become that kind of person, you will be the same person inside and outside the church. You will be the same person when you're driving, when there's a traffic officer. And you will be the same person who will respect the traffic sign even if you're driving at 1 a.m. and you're alone. If it is only something that you do to satisfy certain people, you will do it when they are there. But you go back to who you really are when these people are not around. I remember when I was a first, during my first year of being full-time, I felt like, why am I so tired when I get home? So tired. And then I don't want to think about the Bible when I get home, just want to watch TV. I felt like so tired. And then later I realized, because I am putting my best foot forward when I go to church. And when I get home, I have to undress myself and say, ah, at least ngayon ako na to. It was just something I did. It was not who I am. A mature Christian does not only act mature when he is in church, but even outside the church. And he is consistent in the way he acts in and outside the church because it is no longer about how he acts. It is about how he, he has become. Who he has become, sorry. Therefore, a person who has really been transformed by the gospel of Christ is not only well thought of by the church, but also by the outsiders. When our Saturday men's discipleship finished our study on this particular qualification, I posted in my, our picture in my Facebook account with a caption which says, with good reputation outside. And then I put something, the qualification of an elder that confirms what the community of faith have been affirming. <clears throat> in other words, it is somehow the last proof that seals the deal. And there should be confidence in us that the same things we say about our leaders would be the same th things that will be said of him by their relatives, our friends, our office mates, or anyone who knows them outside the church. Why is this important? We might think. Why can't we treat it like any employee who would say, as long as I am doing my job, Whatever I do outside the work, labas na kayo dun. Yeah. What would you feel if one day I would say, why would you care? I'm serving you in church. At anong gagawin ko outside the church, labas na kayo dun. Here's what Paul said. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. The word disgrace there can be changed into reproach so that he might not fall into reproach. Or in other words, para hindi po siya mapupulaan. And remember, the first qualification of an elder that Paul mentioned, he must be above reproach. He must be above reproach. Now, anyone who does not have a good testimony outside the church, he or she Always have a bad reputation already. Right? Don't fool yourself to think I have a good reputation because in the church, people respect me. If people outside the church in your workplace do not respect you, in the first place, you do not have a good reputation at all. There is nothing to lose. 
as he or she has never had that good reputation. But when this person, who is, might be good in church, but outside the church, he has a bad reputation, if that person will be placed in the eldership, there is a bigger thing at stake than his name. And it is the name of Christ and the church. Commentator Thomas Delea wrote, The disgrace may be that reproach which outsiders bring on professing Christians who dishonor Christianity by disobedience. Look at that. The reproach he's saying here, that maybe what Paul, the reproach that Paul is talking about here is not just a reproach of the name of that elder, but the reproach to Christianity. The greater thing at stake. Paul is really concerned here on the name of Christ more than the name of the supposed fallen elder. You see, there is a bigger thing at stake that is the name of Christ with how we live our lives. This is not just about the leaders. This is about all of us. Think of it. There is a bigger thing at stake. Kung ikaw lang yun, matagal ka nang known marites. But right now, there's a bigger thing at stake. It's no longer just you. Kung ikaw lang yun, matagal ka nang known as a latecomer or whatever. But now that you are a Christian, there is a greater thing at stake. The name of Christ. We ought to reflect Christ outside the church because it is no longer about our name, but the name of Christ. And let me pause a little bit and ask, what do people outside the church say about you? What do people outside the church say about us? However, greater shame to the name of Christ and the church when it is an elder who is reproached by the world. I was talking with someone who mentioned about an elder of the church whom I know. I quickly affirmed, I know that person and proud to own up that that person he mentioned is actually an elder of the church. Thinking that that person that I was talking to, he was about to say good things about this elder. However, to my shame, he started saying bad things about this elder to the point that the whole industry that he was working knew that this person have a lot of compromises and so on and so forth. I remember at the time I felt the shame after hearing these bad testimonies. And it's just another level of destruction when an elder is reproachable by the world. And then Paul said, when an elder has fallen into reproach or disgrace, he actually fell into the snare of the devil. You see that at the last part? Into the snare of the devil. What Paul meant is that when an elder is reproached, it will only lead into a downward spiral. What Satan is doing most of the time is play domino. There's a domino effect. When one domino falls, you can expect that the next will fall, the next will fall, and the next will fall. This is the snare of the devil. One sin would lead to another sin, to another sin, to a host of sin. And if not of the grace of God, the next time one will know is that everything has been destroyed. Satan is a ruthless enemy. He is ruthless. He would never say, uh, I just remembered now when I was in Cebu back then and I asked someone to pray and we never ask him to pray again because he will talk to Satan. He will start crying and say, Satan, my arrow karin. Pag hindi mo tinitigil yung ginagawa mo, may araw ka. You cannot say to Satan, tama na. 
Or Satan would say, tama na nga, nakakaawa ka na. No. For Satan, hanggat pwede pang may sirain, sisirain niya yon. He would not leave anything good. Alexander Strauch is insightful on this one, on the snare of the devil. Here's what Alexander Strauch said. Using the public criticism and the elders' own inconsistencies, the devil will entrap the unwary Christian into more serious sin, uncontrollable bitterness, angry retaliation, lying, further hypocrisy, and stubbornness of heart. What may begin as small offense can become something far more destructive and evil. And really, the only way to stop the bleeding is to repent and confess. If you sin and you cannot confess your sin, you cover it up, you sin again. And it would lead you to another sin. It will lead you to another sin. And it all goes down there, downward spiral. If you want to arrest that downward spiral, there's no other way to stop the bleeding but to come out and confess your sin. Just repent. It is then a necessity that those who are considered into the eldership have a good testimony outside the church for Satan might see an opportunity to totally destroy not only the reputation of the person, but even the church itself. We have heard of a double life. Or sometimes sa mga Kristiyano, sinasabi natin may dalawang mukha. And when we say that one, it means we live in a certain way in the church, but another way outside the church. And if we are guilty of this, we might not have understood what is at stake. Kung sa atin po ngayon, parang nagpapanggap tayo sa pagpunta natin sa church, but we know how we live in our house. We know how we live somewhere else. And we might be thinking it will work. Let me tell you, it will not work. Don't be naive to think it will work and forget that you have a ruthless enemy. You have a ruthless enemy. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 regarding Satan. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Just when you think it is okay, but it, is exact, it exactly makes you a prey that the devil will devour. And the next time you know, your reputation is completely destroyed. You see, a double life will not work. It will not work. If I were you, I want to be me too. I was... <laughs> we were laughing at that because... And those who are millennials are laughing. <laughs> I would say, crazy, crazy. The greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Crazy. But then I realized the, the newer version is even more crazy. If I were you, I want to be me too. Wala pong kinalaman to sa ano. If I were you, I will repent today. Or tomorrow will be too late. We should work to be consistent with our godly character whenever and wherever. Whenever and wherever. We have to make sure that someone has a good testimony outside the church before we can consider that person as an elder in so as a church, we cannot be hasty. We cannot be hasty. As Paul said somewhere, don't be hasty in laying ha your hands. I think First Timothy chapter 6. The church could not be hasty in ordaining aspiring elder without a proven, tested, and community-attested 
maturity. Until then, we cannot consider anyone to have a biblical maturity. That's why Paul, we have what we call as elders in training and deacon in training. We don't put them right away as elders or deacons. They have to be trained. They have to be observed. They have to be examined before we lay hands on them and affirm that they are elders in the church. Then again, maturity should be time-tested and community attested. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.